morning I'm actually going to be speaking to you in my message title. You guys did get a, get a sneak peek of it, okay? It is hospitality and hope, and taken from Psalm 23, verse 5 and 6. And let me tell you, to give you background personally, where this is. I have had to warfare in my personal soul, in my mind, for hope in the last while. I had dear family members calling me and telling me, you better get out of there. Uh, you ain't seen nothing yet. I have had to warfare for hope. In scripture, our main weapon of warfare is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I've had to take the word of God out and say, I see what's in the news. I see what WhatsApp says. I saw that video. I saw that threat, etc. But I'm choosing to spend time in the word of God. God, what are you saying? And Psalm 23 has been a go-to scripture for me for many years. It's my personal go-to, but I, I'm giving you permission, as you've heard me say before, you can go there as well, okay? Not exclusively mine. I feel like it is, like the Lord gave it just to me, but you can also use it, okay? And you don't need my permission, okay? Even though I'm giving it, okay? I'm actually inviting you to go to Psalm 23, okay? But what is, what is this? Well, why hospitality and hope? It's so interesting. I spend usually when I go to Psalm 23, I get stuck in the first four verses. And we did a series, it was October 2019, that did a series in Psalm 23, and we entitled it Postures and Paths. And that was the theme of our camp last year. And so many people said that just sustained them through, through the top times of last year, massive lockdowns, et cetera, et cetera. But I've been, I've been camping the last two verses of Psalm 23, verse 5 and 6. And I've been like, Lord, how do I, how do I capture this? I mean, I said passion and pause is quite a neat sort of, you know, you're getting the literation going there. And, I, and, and, and you know, I don't know if you go to that place. But I was literally, hospitality and hope came to me. You know where it was. I was shaving and I was thinking about these verses. And I was like, how can I capture these two verses? And I just, the two words, hospitality and hope, just came to me. And I, and, and I said in the pre-meeting this morning, we, we, last week I said we're rebuilding, but how do we rebuild? You know, it is easy in the face of all the looting and destruction and, you know, John 10 verse 10 says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. How many of you looked at what happened in that time and it's like, oh my goodness, you know, I kind of see who's behind this, okay? But how do we build? How do we build when... We've seen stealing, killing, and destroying. You know, if we respond in anger or unforgiveness, do you know we respond exactly the way the, 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 the enemy? <laughs> the enemy wants us to respond. If you respond, and I'm telling you, I've had my moments of anger, okay? Been there, done that, got the t-shirt, okay? I don't know about you. I've been angry with a whole host of different people and groups and it's it. I'm not going to give names to them because I've, I've been there. But I'm, if we do that, we, we partner with our enemy. We're rebuilding. How do we rebuild? We've got to build God's way. If we respond in anger or bitterness or for unforgiveness, that's, that's, we are responding in the flesh the way the enemy wants us to respond or, or, or vengeance or etc. That's not kingdom stuff. 
There's so many kingdom ways. And I want to say responding with hospitality and hope is kingdom stuff. And you could probably put a few more words. It's in the opposite spirit. It's not the same way that the enemy came at you. You say, I'm not responding that way. I know, yes, you influence people, but I'm going to love people the way Jesus wants me to. And I want to say these two words, hospitality and hope, have just been like, yes. This is so opposite. What's the opposite of hospitality? It's rejection. It's pushing people away. It's judging people. It's, 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 it's just all that. Hospitality is, I embrace you. I welcome you, etc. The amazing thing about the scripture is, the Lord does this stuff to us first. And because we've experienced his hospitality and hope, therefore we've got stuff to give. I'm not asking you to give stuff you don't have. I'm saying drink from the well of the Lord's hospitality and hope so you have stuff to give to a nation that desperately needs it. Amen? Two ways I want to submit you to building is hospitality and hope. Now, I want to go... Where are we going with this? Look at this. I found this quote. This is by a guy called Henry Wood. I've never heard him before. He was quoted by Charles Spurgeon. Now, Spurgeon preached in the 1800s. When I saw this quote, when I first read it, I was like, I have no idea what he's talking about. And I read to my wife and she said, you can't put that up. Um, people aren't going to know what you're saying. So I, I'm telling you, I've edited it. I took my dictionary. I looked for synonyms. He used words in the 1800s like phenom griefs. I was like, it sounds amazing, but I have no idea what he's talking about. I was like, what is feeding on me? Oh, okay. It is green. Oh, okay. And so I've, I've replaced synonyms and I've, I've, I've reworked it quite a lot. But this is what this dude, Charles Spurgeon, quoted him, talking about Psalm 23. So folks, I just kind of realized I'm not the only person on the planet that, that uses Psalm 23. But look, look at what it says. Psalm 23 has put more hardships to rest than all the philosophies of the world. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm in. You don't need to say more, but he does. It has sent to their prison more criminal thoughts, more doubts, more sorrows than there are sands on the seashore. This is Psalm 23. I'm warning you, it's dangerous, okay? It has comforted the noble host of the poor. It has sung courage to the army of the disappointed. It has poured comfort into the heart of the sick of prisoners, of widows, and of orphans. Let's go to the next one. Hospitals have been lit up by Psalm 23. It has visited the prisoner and broken his chains. And like Peter's angel, led him forth in imagination and sang him back to his home again. It has made the dying Christian slave freer than his master, and comforted those whom he left behind mourning, not because he was gone, but because they were left behind and could not go too. I mean, they can't even give John 23, okay? Let's just get it out there. It's so beautiful. And, and folks, I know I was, I was forced to memorize Psalm 23. When I went to Sunday school, I was six years old. And Uncle Harry was my Sunday school teacher. And I thought he was the meanest dude on the planet to make us memorize such a massive portion of scripture, okay? We'll go to the next slide. This is how big it is. I mean, it's massive. When you're, six, when you're like asking somebody to memorize like the whole Old Testament. That's how I felt when I was six years old. I mean, this guy is so mean. Today, I can't tell you how often I thanked Uncle Harry 
for forcing us to memory such a memorize such a massive portion of scripture. I want to tell you, most of you in this room, scan, 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 or over six. I think you can do it. And this will, I'm telling you, I don't know what values of shadow death will, will, will you have to go through in the future, but I want to submit to you this psalm is gonna is gonna be a go-to lifesaver for you. So I've said we we did we did uh, in 2019 and beginning of last year at our camp we did the first four verses. I, I never got to the last two verses. I kind of just squizzed over them, but not much. But I want to start with verse one. Verse one is such a beautiful introduction and summary of what it's all about. It says, "The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want." What a beautiful summary of everything that is to follow, folks. And the word Lord there is that word we highlighted last week, last week. It's the word Jehovah, which, which the word uh, Jehovah, sorry, or Yahweh, which, which occurs literally over 7,000 times in the whole Bible. It's the number one word used for God in the Bible. It is Yahweh, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not want speaks about the, the all-sufficiency of Christ. If you have Christ, you have it all. And there are so many, you know, remember in John chapter 6, where Jesus did that blood and gore story, where he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. And the Bible says, many people left him, they were like, oh, goodness, this oak's lost it, I don't know what he's talking about. Folks, what he's talking about is actually verse 5, when he says, you prepare a table before me. Folks, ultimately... The, the greatest feast is actually our delight in the Lord, our satisfaction in the Lord. The greatest cry, the greatest desire, the greatest delight in our lives is not found on this planet. It is found in the Lord. It is resting your souls in the bosom of your lover, Jesus. That is where... I shall not want comes becomes a reality. And I and I just go to the next slide. I actually put these verses up. Um, go to the next slide, sir. Philippians 4, verse 11 to 13 says, I have learned to be content. This is the great apostle Paul. You see, why am I saying this? Because in verse 1 of Psalm 23, he says, I shall not want. It's not, I shall not want in these circumstances or those. It's like a full stop. Stop. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. No matter what the circumstances. And Paul the Apostle puts it this way. I've learned to be content. He's saying, I shall not want. Whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. He's, he said, I've been there. Got the t-shirt. And I know what it is to have plenty. Okay, we want that t-shirt, not the other one. But folks, it's in, 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 in that place of being in both places that we learn the secret of being content. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Yes, we do want, but the want is fulfilled in the Lord. In any and every situation, any of you been in, in any and every situation, okay? There's no exception there. Paul's saying there isn't a place you can go on this planet that this, that this, this being content in Christ doesn't apply. 
whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Folks, this, this place is through him. It's through him that we get the reality of I shall not want. It's through him, the all-sufficiency of Christ. You know, one of the keys of, of marketing, any of you, many of you study marketing, one of the keys of a successful marketing campaign is to create some sense of discontent in the customer that whatever they currently have is not good enough and they need to buy this other better soap because their current soap is not good enough. It's not washing white enough. Your whites can be whiter. You need to be discontented with how white your shirt is at the moment. And you look at the shirt and you think, my shirt can be whiter. I need that new soap, okay? That is a good market. If, if they can get you to be convinced that your shirt can be whiter than it is right now, man, they've marketed well. The enemy is wanting to try and sell you a lie that on this planet, in this world, there is more outside of Christ, that you can somehow find contentment, you can somehow loot shops and steal stuff, and somehow that's going to fulfill the God-sized hole inside of you. There's a God-sized hole that only God can fill. And there's contentment in Christ, and no amount of looting or anything on this planet will fulfill that God-sized hole. Amen. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, full stop. And the rest of the psalm, literally, the, that's verse one. The other five verses, he's unpacking the ways and the dimensions that the Lord does exactly that. I shall not want. Let's go to verse five, I think it is. There we go, Cynthia. You've, uh, let's just read the whole psalm. We'll get to verse five. It's, uh, you can do it. It's not long, guys. The Lord is my shepherd. Let's read it together from verse one. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever." I want to start with this verse, verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, the whole verse has the shepherding picture going for it, from verse 1 to verse 4. It's all shepherding and sheep and green pastures and still waters and paths and paths of righteousness and, uh, you know, walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And we unpack this, and, and it's on SoundCloud, by the way. Those messages, I went to go check October 2019 is when we did this series on, on that. I'm not going to unpack it more. But this picture, verse 4, is a picture of the shepherd leading the sheep through the valley of the shadow of death. And remember, I highlighted in those days, 
The, the shepherd's job was to find these green pastures, but they would graze in a particular area. You know, there may be a, one side of a hill that has a nice green pasture, and they'd stay there until the grazing is finished. But then the shepherd would have to lead his sheep to another pasture, find another field somewhere, and maybe a couple of k's away, that the shepherd would have to lead his sheep to find another green pasture, but it also had to be close to water, okay? Both those, both those requirements. And so it would be the on this journey of often going through dry lands and where the, what, the, what are the enemies for sheep, where there are, you know, um, lions and jackals and whatever, you know, vermin that, that want to child sheepies and lambs. And it's, this is the description of the, the, the valley of the shadow of death, trying to go to these, these other pastures. But the description changes here. He's, he's in verse, verse 5, he says, you prepare a table before me. Now, I mean, you know that sheep don't eat at tables. He totally changes the, the metaphor here. And it's important for you to realize that this, this is actually a picture of superabundance. But he's talking here about, and, and, I'll, and I'll unpack it, especially if you look at other, other translations like the message in the New Living, it literally talks about a five-fold, five-course meal or, or, or a banquet table. This is the table. It isn't just a table with, you know, a couple of dry pieces of bread on there. This is a banqueting table that he's actually describing. But what's so significant is also there's no indication that you know, this table is only at, when you get through the valley of the shadow of death, you know, that long valley and it's shady and you don't want that shadow. And then it just gets through the table to get through the end of this valley. There's a table laden. Then this, this metaphor, because it says you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Folks, this table is actually along the route in the valley of the shadow of death because that's, I mean, enemies who bring death, etc. It's I battled with it. I was like, Lord, I don't want to have a banqueting table with a bunch of enemies watching me. How, how about you? It's like, Lord, just get rid of them so I can eat in peace. This is the reality of the world we live in, folks. We have an enemy. Satan and his and, and demonic forces, and there are wicked people that are absolutely come under his influence on the world today. And this side of eternity, folks, we get to feast on the banqueting table of Jesus, experience his abundance, his joy, his peace, his goodness in the middle of valleys of shadow death and enemies around us. That is reality where you, it's not a case of, oh, if we can just get through this. If we can just get through this level three lockdown, when we get to level four, uh, back to level one or level zero, then I'm going to enjoy this table. Lord, no, no, no. Here's the promises of this feasting on God, enjoying everything that heaven has to offer us is in the midst of all the stuff going around, enemies around, and the value of the shadow of death. You don't have to wait until tomorrow. Permission is granted today to feast on Jesus, to experience his joy and his peace and his love and his goodness. You don't have to wait until tomorrow. Amen? Isn't that amazing? And I, I, well, one thing that I was thinking, I was like, Lord, why did David, why did you anoint him to say there's, there's enemies watching me? I'm not going to enjoy my food while enemies are watching. How many of you also think like that? I'm like, Lord, just, just nail it. Then I realized, you know, can you imagine how tormenting this must be for our enemies? Watching us at a banqueting 
banqueting table feasting on God's abundance. Can you imagine how tormenting it must be for the enemy? I was like, okay, Lord, if you look at it that way, I'm okay. They can watch us. And there's this picture here of they can't touch you. You're in his presence. Yes. And ultimately, remember, we are feasting on the Lord. I mean, I, I just want to, in, 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 in chapter 6 of John, it says, Jesus said to them, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. This is, this is the feasting. Ultimately, the greatest feast is feasting on, on Yahweh himself, enjoying the presence of the Lord and everything that he brings. So I, I, I do want to say this, and, and, and uh, you know, this, this I've mentioned the, the table before me, etc., I'm actually struggling with my slides. My printer didn't work this morning. So I've got them here, but now on my computer, I can't see them all at once. So I'm sorry. I'm just trying to, ah, oh, let me do this. I'm getting so clever. I'm changing the view. Guys, sorry, this is, you don't understand the brilliance that's just happening right over here now. I've just realized I can change my view and see what's going on. Ah, there we go. Okay, this little computer is quite clever. Okay, thank you, Lord. Um, you, you can go to the next slide. You anoint my head with oil is the next is the next picture. I do want to say, you know, the, the description of a banquet, it is right now in the presence of enemies, right now we get to feast and enjoy God's abundance. But I do want to say that the Lord promised the, the, the Lamb's banqueting feast in heaven. But when we get to heaven, there's going to be a party. There's going to be a banquet second to none. And in, 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 in Revelation 3, the Lord says, here I must stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will sup with him. I will eat with him. The invitation to actually, and, and remember, a meal in Middle Eastern culture was fellowship. It wasn't just food. It was, I'm inviting you into my space. I'm invite, I want to be with you. I want to, I want to hang with you. I want to be close with you. That's what a meal represents. But yeah, the next thing he says is this, you anoint my head with oil. And when, when I first thought about anoint your head with oil, I thought of a picture like this because I was thinking of this, this sheepy, sheepy analogy metaphor which we've been going with the first four verses. And I read some commentaries and they described that, that a she what shepherds used to do because the lambs were often subject to bugs getting in their eyes, parasites, you know, in their eyes, their nose, their mouth, etc. There were certain oils for medicinal purposes that they would actually pour on the, on the sheep and it would run over their head. It would, the oil would go into their eyes and was actually acted as a disinfectant and it would, you know, prevent bugs and things. So it was for health reasons that they would anoint the head with oil. And I was going to say, okay, I like that, I get that. But I felt like there was more with this anointing, uh, anointing with oil thing. And, 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 the, and then I thought, but remember, David was anointed with oil when Samuel anointed. I thought, well, maybe that's what David was talking about. And I was like, and I dug the, and I was like, there's so much in that. Anointing with oil, there he speaks about divine calling, divine setting apart, etc. And I was like, Lord, it could be that, and there is that truth in anointing with oil as well. It could also be reality is in scripture, oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit, and it could be this you anoint my head with oil, speaking about just God's presence on us and with us. And I was like, 
It's probably that as well. I'm not saying it's not this, but I was like, but we, we had a banqueting table. Why are you going to make my head with oil at the banqueting? We, we've done with the sheepy thing. We're now at the banqueting table. What is this about? And one of my favorite ways of studying the Bible is cross-references. I'll go to a verse and I'll look in the many good cross-reference Bibles, okay, many online. And I, and I clicked on this one cross-reference Bible and it took me to Luke chapter 7. And Luke chapter 7 is the story, okay, um, we're going to go there. Um, okay, we've got another slide. Okay, this was the New Living just said, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. And, and, and this is the New Living says, and you honor me by anointing my head with oil. Yeah. And I'm going to honor there. But, you know, if you put oil on a sheep's head, you're not honoring the, the sheepy. Okay, it's for medicinal health purposes, and I'm glad God protects us. His Holy Spirit protects us from, you know, bugs and viruses, viruses and parasites, etc. I'm, I'm happy with that. But we have the banqueting table, Lord. Please don't chuck oil in my head at the banqueting table for medicinal purposes. I don't want, you know, medicine in my eyes and my nose. Please, Lord, it, just, it didn't fit for me. And so I, I, I believe I found... Uh, just an understanding of what David was referring to when I went to Luke chapter 7. And in Luke 7, there's a story about a woman. The Bible says when a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. She does something quite incredible here. Now remember the New Living says that you honor me by anointing my head with oil. And folks, here is a story of, so Jesus is at a banqueting table. He gets invited by the Pharisee. At this stage, he's still in good terms with the Pharisees. They're trying to figure him out. So he comes to this banqueting. Previous verses highlight how the Pharisee invites him, etc. But this woman hears of it. She gate crashes the party. She comes in there and she does this incredible. And alabaster was a kind of a very expensive rock that expensive perfume was put on. They reckon that the cost of that alabaster jar of perfume would be about a year and a half's wages. Okay, how much do you earn in a year? times one and a half, that's how much this is worth. And it says that she lived a sinful life. Many Bible scholars and other research believe that she was probably uh, a prostitute. And the, one of the reasons for that is, at the bottom here, it says that um, she, then she wiped them with her hair. She wiped the tears that had wet Jesus' feet. She took her hair and she was wiping in that culture, your hair had to be covered as a woman. You had a cloth that covered your hair at all times. Only an immoral woman, only a wife at home could take the head covering off. If you're in public, you had to have the head covering on. And only an immoral woman, in other words, a prostitute, would walk around publicly without a head covering. Here, this woman is using her hair to wipe you. That, that everybody in the neighborhood table, oh, she's one of those. And can you imagine what's going through their minds with this immoral woman wiping Jesus' feet 
with her hair. Well, let's go on. What, uh, and, and look, what happened? Okay. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she is a sinner. Okay, this, this Pharisee thinks he knows her. He thinks he's, he's judged her, he's assessed her, he, he's got it figured out. Okay? Incredible verse 40. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Jesus goes on and says this. Next slide. The two men, two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Isn't it amazing he's talking about love? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. So he's thinking, man, I'm, I'm the bomb here. You know, I've, I've, I, I get the spiritual truth thing. I've got it sorted out. Next slide. Next slide. Do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? Folks, that question just hit me. Do you see this woman? You see, the Pharisee thought he saw the woman. He saw her uncovered head. He knew exactly. He judged her, put her in a box like that. That's, that's how she is. And Jesus now blows him out the water because Jesus didn't see the woman at all like that. Yes, her hair is not covered, but Jesus just blows this Pharisee out the water. Look what he says. He says, I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. Folks, that was, you see, remember we, in Psalm 23, the New Living says, you honor me by anointing my head with oil. Folks, this anointing head with oil thing is actually a form of honor. And there's three ways that this woman honored Jesus. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears. First honor, she washed his feet. It was custom when you came, because you walked in sandals all day in dusty roads. It was a custom that when you had a guest, you would wash their feet. The servant, the lowest servant in the house, that was their job. He didn't do this. He gave Jesus fancy food and drink and nicely decorated table and everything, all the externals. But he didn't do the basic societal customs to honor, honor somebody. Verse 45, you did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. Wow. Giving a kiss, a holy kiss. Have you seen those Middle Eastern people where they come and kiss on this cheek and that cheek, etc.? I find it very uncomfortable when people want to greet me like that because I don't come from the Middle East. I'm like, I don't know what to do. Please don't. <laughs> you know? It's, I don't know if you experience that, that kissing thing, Middle Eastern thing. Okay? Whoa, it's uncomfortable. You did not put oil on my head, 
but she has poured perfume on my feet. One of the ways in those days you would honor a guest is to pour oil on their head. Remember, they didn't have fancy shampoos and there wasn't, it wasn't a culture in Middle East, a lot of water, etc. And rich people would have put a lot of oil on them that was fragranced oil to make them smell good, okay? You just hide the smell with lots of oils, etc. I'm glad I wasn't alive in those days. But anyway, this is what they did. But it was, a, it was a way to honor Jesus. But now remember, they were reclining. In those days, they would recline. It was a low table, and you would literally, you would recline means lie. You would lie on your side, and obviously, to get to the table, if you're lying, your, your head is close to the table and your feet is, is outstretched behind you. So it would be very difficult for a lady who's great crushed the party. There's probably somebody on either side of She can't get to his head to anoint his head with oil. She's using this oil to anoint his feet. I would submit she maybe would have wanted to if she could have put the oil on his head. That was the proper way. But she couldn't. She's getting as close to him as possible. Here's his feet. She's crying. She's weeping. She's washing his feet with her tears. She's wiping his feet with her hair. She's kissing his feet continuously. And then she's anointing his feet with this very expensive oil that costs about a year and a half's wages. Verse 47, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven her, for she loved much, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. I want to say the converse of that is true. He who has been forgiven much loves much. And folks, verse 46 helps us to understand what's happening in, in Psalm 23, verse 5, where it says, you honor me by anointing my head with oil. Jesus in this little story is, is making sense for giving us understanding what's happening there. Folks, in Psalm 46, Jesus, Yahweh, is the great host. He is being so hospitable. He's preparing this table. He's anointing our heads with oil. Folks, he is honoring you. What honor is there greater on the planet than being known as a son or daughter of the Most High God? Folks, sons and daughters of the Most High God get to feast at the table of their father. In David's life, he wanted to honor Saul's descendants who had all been killed. And he did a call and he said, is there, are there any descendants of Saul? I want to honor them. And there was one young man who, when, when, when the disaster happened with Saul, his, his servant fled with him because they, were, they, were they, they killed his descendants. And this little boy, Mephibosheth, fell and broke his legs. He couldn't walk. He was lame. And they found out there was one son left, this man. David said, send him. And David brought him into the palace. And David invited Mephibosheth with his broken, deformed legs to come and sit at the king's table and feast at the king's table. Folks, that picture, remember David is writing the psalm and saying, what I did for Mephibosheth is what my heavenly father, what Yahweh has done for me. Folks, have you, do you experience the amazing grace of Yahweh in your life? Have you experienced his hosting? Have you experienced as this woman did? Folks, you see, this story is of a woman's response to the incredible freedom and forgiveness that she'd experienced from Jesus. 
In this story, you'll notice that when it first introduced her, it says a woman who had been a sinner. So this, the Bible doesn't unpack this more, except that when she's arriving here, that, that was not a current state. When Luke writes this, Luke knew that when she walked into this Pharisee's house, she was no longer a sinner. She had been, and she may still have her head uncovered because she's, she's not used to wearing a head covering, etc. But that is her past. She has experienced the freedom of forgiveness. She has experienced the liberty of the weight of judgment and guilt of years of sinful living being lifted off her, and she's overwhelmed. He who, who has been forgiven much loves much. You know, folks, sometimes I know people don't lie, hey, you, you know, don't focus on sin, etc. But, folks, it's a reality that if we realize the depth and how much God has done for us, what He has saved us from causes us to love him so extravagantly here. And you know, my heart is, from Psalm 23, would we experience this incredible host of Yahweh, the good shepherd, how he hosts us at the table? What does he do for us? He, okay, go to the next slide. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this? who even forgives sins. And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Amazing. Jesus always comes back to faith time and time again. Let's go to the next slide. It says, you anoint my head with oil, verse 5. My cup overflows. Folks, that just speaks about superabundance. And I want to finish with, with a Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Verse 5 is about this amazing hospitality that God offers to us. Verse 5 is, receive the welcome to the table of the Lord. And then, can we respond like the woman did respond to Jesus in overwhelming love and gratitude? And I want to take this further. Folks, as we've received his hospitality, can we offer hospitality to people around us? Can we be like Jesus was to this sinful woman and not like the Pharisee was to that woman? Folks, I don't know who's going to come to Alpha Course. It's, it's, it's a wait and see. Are we going to be the Pharisees when we see the woman coming in with uncovered hair and we judge them and we look down on them? Or are we going to see this woman and the woman as that is how she was, but that's not how she is today? Or that is how you have been, but change is around the corner. You're about to meet Jesus. Your sins are about to be forgiven. Your life is about to be radically changed by Jesus. Would we be able to? Can we be hospitable? that we would be able to invite and welcome the so-called woman who've lived in sin. And, and I use that metaphorically referring to the story in Luke 7, okay? There are guys as well that fall in the same category, but that's just the story. But verse 6 speaks about incredible hope. It says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Folks, you see, this, this picture 
starts off with us following Jesus. So you 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 in a in a you're in a in a, in, in a flock of sheep, and you're following Jesus. So what's in front of you, Jesus? But what's behind you? He says, "What's behind you? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me." What's behind you? One commentator said, "The angel of goodness and the angel of mercy." You're totally surrounded. You, you're part of the flock. There are people around you that love God, walking with you, following the same Jesus. We can't find the direction we're going. But following, what comes behind is also what is going to happen in the future. Folks, how many of you look forward in the next three months, six months, year, two years, three years, and saying, there's so much goodness that's going to break out in my life. There's so much of God's and this word mercy, some Bibles translate it as love. It is such a full word in the Hebrew. That same word is also used as, as loving, uh, God's loving kindness. It's, it's just, it's mercy, it's loving kindness. It is this incredible um, act of benevolence. Well, not act, it's this attitude of benevolence and, 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 and goodness and mercy towards somebody. That's how God is. Folks, that's what follows us. What is your life going to look like six months from now? Is there an expectation of goodness and mercy following you? Goodness and mercy breaking out at work, in your friendships, in your relationships, in your finances. How many of you have an expectation that behind me goodness and mercy is, is coming? It's so beautiful. And ultimately, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Folks, I can unequivocally say it gets better. If you know the Lord, if the Lord is your shepherd, goodness and mercy shall follow you the days of your life. Even though, yes, there's valleys we've got to go through and we enjoy feasting with enemies around, I'm not denying that. But where is your focus? Where is your focus? Is your focus on the hospitality and the hope that is offered in God? Let's go to the next slide. You know, when it says goodness and mercy shall follow you, Remember, we looked at what is biblical hope. We did a short series in June on this, and we defined it this way. A joyful, confident expectation of good for the future. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. A joyful, confident expectation of good for the future, rooted in a faithful, good, kind God. Because he's good, we have an expectation of good in the future. Let's go to the last slide. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the, of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Can we have and amen. amen. We trust you enjoyed that message. And if you would like to find more info or listen to more messages, 
please visit our website at www.hispeoplepmb.co.za. We also upload our videos to YouTube, so you can visit our YouTube channel, or you can visit our SoundCloud channel to listen to more messages. For those of you who listen to podcasts, you should find our messages on your favorite podcast app. And then, of course, there's WhatsApp. If you want to receive info or events via WhatsApp, then please save this number at 061-452-0877. That would go to our church administrator, message her, and she'll be able to help you get more info. Finally, you may want to join us in person for church services at 154 Burkett Road, Scottsville, Peter Maritzburg. We hope to see you. God bless you.